Welcome to Product by Design with Kyle and Eva, a podcast about product management and product design, where we'll talk about subjects from product strategy to inclusive design. Every episode, we just have a good conversation about all the things that you may already know or not know, and occasionally we'll have a guest from maybe engineering or other product managers and designers to talk about all these topics. Welcome back to another episode of Product by Design with Kyle and Eva. How are you doing, Eva? Great. Extracurricular. <laughs> it feels great. <laughs> so yeah, good morning. Yeah. Welcome to Sunday brunch with Kyle and Eva. <laughs> In, indoor uh, virtual brunch. Yeah, yeah because I, it's out, outside is like walking on the surface of the sun. Basically. Oh, that, uh, <laughs> that? I thought you were talking about a pandemic, but <laughs> oh. yes. The earth is burning is also true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, depending on the time that you're listening to this right now, it's what are we in? Very first of August. I was going to say July, but we just turned to (laughs) August and it's I think we were breaking record temperatures. I don't know, you know, wherever you're listening to this, hopefully you're you're doing okay. But where we are right now, we I think yesterday for the second straight day, we broke record temperatures for highs in in Salt Lake City. Yeah. So it's just absolutely miserably good. hot. Yeah, that is not good. I was joking with Colby the other day. I was like, "When is the world going to end?" It feels <laughs> like we're on track to, you know, just just yeah, it's it's slowly happening. And I, it's a very cheesy, you know thoughts of oh i'm gonna be maybe fine but are my future kids gonna be fine you know but yeah but now i am in my closet today with a fan with the door open so i am surviving i actually should have done this in previous recordings because i i guess today we found out that it is fine it is still quiet enough (laughs) with the door open with a fan so i remember in the past like three episodes i was like sweating by the end of it and just (laughs) soaking and now i'm like why didn't i do this why didn't i try this so the one good thing that happened today yeah one discovery there you go yeah yeah um speaking of brunch uh are you drinking any soda today no i've got my camping mug with water you 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 can't see it but it's water yeah it is it's 10 30 in the morning so i'm still (laughs) trying to be good right you're just ramping up to the afternoon what is it dr pepper right yeah well the mid-morning dr pepper so we'll we'll get there slowly when we started our conversation it was even earlier so i was we've been pre-podcast chatting for a few minutes and so yes it felt even too early to be to be entertaining soda at that point. So I, I do have a mug full of water though. Nobody can confirm that because it, you healthy. can't see it. Yeah. Again, it's, <laughs> it's dark inside. Um, yep. I'm drinking a fancy homemade London fog. And for y'all people that don't drink tea, it is a tea latte with Earl Grey because it is Sunday. I am going fancy and have time to actually make it <laughs> and very, very fancy. Today, very fancy. That sounds like uh kind of tea that uh, Captain Picard would drink. Who? Oh, yeah, Star um, Trek. Yeah. <laughs> he he I, was I an he was an Earl Grey tea drinker. I did not know that. Yeah. That was his that was his thing. It was computer really? tea Earl Grey hot, I think was What? Yeah. You clearly were not a, a Star Trek watcher. Okay. To the same degree I that not. I was. <laughs> I I would still well, okay. I'm going to say something very, what is that word? Con- controversial? Okay. Yeah. Are you ready yeah. for this statement? I think In so. In my personal opinion, top of my list, Battlestar Galactica, and then Star Trek, and then Star Wars. Okay. Maybe this is when I'm going to start getting tweets. <laughs> <laughs> we'll yeah. see. Yeah. Maybe we should just start saying super controversial things. That's, I can respect that. I I think Battlestar Galactica was great. Um, I thought you were going to say something way more just prickly because you said, uh, and then I I could feel something coming, but 
No, that was very no. Very I'm not mild. gonna. I'm not gonna hate on Battlestar Galactica. I I still. Oh, that's a tough one. I'm still probably a Star Trek person over over the other ones. Just I grew up. I just I grew up on Star Trek, but I also grew up on Star Wars. So it's a it's a tough one for me because I literally grew up watching every Star Trek series that there was. Wow. So like the Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, see Star Trek, uh, Enterprise. Uh, let's see what were what were all the I'm trying to remember all of the other ones. Yeah, uh, you're gonna start getting tweets. <laughs> I know. I, I feel like I've I've just set myself up for not remembering them. Um, Voyager. I apologize that I'm forgetting them, but see, you could be cheating by you know googling it right now because nobody can really see. And if I don't say anything, nobody would know. <laughs> but Th- I, I those were it. those were the key ones that uh, okay. I for sure watched because definitely hardcore the next generation um then enterprise which loved uh voyager deep space nine because i remember like we would literally come inside from playing like outside as kids so that we could watch i remember watching like the series finality of deep space nine i just absolutely loved it anyway and people are like now calculating like your age yeah (laughs) but we also grew up hardcore star wars fans we had like the recorded vhs off of i think our uncle had recorded it off of like hbo and so we would just wear those vhs recordings out watching them that was okay yeah major throwback right yeah okay so here's the thing here's another statement that i'm gonna make i suspect so basically every american household has their own you know choice of outer space series right yeah i suspect that everyone in the back of their mind knows that eventually we're gonna have to leave earth because (laughs) we're gonna we're in the next 50 years we're gonna mess up this place so bad that we're gonna have to one way or another go to outer space choose one which way do you want to go to space and which style and yeah because i mean everybody everybody has a preference but yeah yeah, mine mine's definitely battlestar galactica and that's fair it just, it doesn't have the same nostalgia for me because I watched it a lot later. So I cert- I definitely appreciate it, but I watched it a lot later. So I didn't grow up, you know, on Battlestar Galactica, but definitely a good one. I definitely didn't watch any of the <laughs> space stuff when I was young. I remember my mom telling me like when it first came out, like Star Wars stuff came out and the special effects were crazy. And I was like, that's cool. Um, <laughs> next. <laughs> yeah. and, and that was about it. I mean, yeah. I respect it, but, but yeah. How do we get on outer space topic that's this is great i think yeah do, if we, we need to backtrack we went from earl gray t to <laughs> captain picard to oh Star that's Trek. right yep. do you think you'll drink it even when it's 100 degrees outside Hot. I, yeah i think that uh i think so but if you're in space you know climate controlled yeah yeah they have space ac unless the life support systems fail, which I think would happen pretty regularly, especially when you have to divert all power from life support to engines or other things, which again, seems to be a regular occurrence on starships, unfortunately. (laughs) So (laughs) in my mind, I was going into this space of like, what could happen if you get sucked, you know, uh, the air gets sucked out of the aircraft and spaceship, whatever. And then I'm going into this, like, I'm so scared mode. And my cat just came up because the door is open today. <laughs> he just rubbed his nose on my nose on my hand. I completely just freaked <laughs> out. <laughs> it was very scary. Anyways, um, I actually was trying to use that to segue into murder hornets. Um, <laughs> but I guess we went to outer space instead. I don't even know how we would go from... Yeah, yeah, because we were talking about Earth being destroyed. I was trying to steer that to murder hornets because we have <laughs> an update. I don't know if you saw. Um, I have not. The headline. This is an. Hold on. Okay, this was on Twitter today as a what is that trending event? Okay. Well, it went away. Hold on. Let me find it real quick. Uh. Sorry, listener. Okay, so it says, Washington officials, I colony, wait, what? 
how do how do I read this sentence? Washington officials eye colony er- eradication after successful trapping of the state's first murder hornet. So they grabbed the first one. Now they're going to murder the entire family. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> they are searching for the nests using infrared cameras and place additional traps to catch more specimen. They are basically putting tags on them to trace their locations. Oh, their where they go. Colony yeah. location. And they're aiming to destroy all their families by mid-September. Wow, this it's, sentence is intense. Listen to this. Officials aim to find and destroy the nest by mid-September before the colony would begin, begin creating new reproducing queens and drones. So yeah, we are murdering the murderer hornets. We'll be fine by mid-September. Yeah, Just hopefully. FYI. Hopefully. PSA for all listeners. Yeah, that's the hope. We keep bringing it up. I feel like the, the murder hornets made kind of like an appearance early in 2020 and yeah it just it feels like they were quickly overshadowed or it was just a foreshadowing and they're going to come back at some point in the story which just it feels that almost feels more like extra frightening given just 2020 in general like it's one of those things that it's like hey and there's murder hornets and then they kind of go away and you're like, wait a second, what happened to the murder hornets? Did they just, you know, we just kind of yes. threw them in there or are they going to come back in a really bad way? And it's just one of those things you don't know. And I don't know. So hopefully they don't come back in a really bad way, but it, maybe they bring their other murder insect friends and it just gets <laughs> murder, really, really murder bad. cousin. Yeah. You never know. Yeah. You try and you try and murder them and and they just. They bring murder ants and murder yes. uh, other, what other types of insects? Murder spiders. Of, yeah. You have a look of disgust oh. on your face. <laughs> I just wanted to go on record. Yeah. I truly look disgusted by the, by the ideas of those existing. Yeah. I'm just imagining, have, um, I'm just trying to think of the book. It is a, I need to look up what the book's called. A book, it has sentient spiders and kind of semi-sentient ants in it it's a very very interesting book uh but it very very disturbing where yeah that's right up my alley so please find out (laughs) i want to know yeah i'm i'm looking it up in my reading list here um i would i just want to make another statement a lot of statements today so Dear listener, I don't blame you if you always skip forward 15 minutes <laughs> because it's fine. I do the same thing to certain podcasts. Yeah. yeah. So speaking of, yeah, destroying worlds and all of that sort of stuff, it's called Children of, T- of Time by Adrian Tchai- Tchaikovsky. Uh, so a science fiction where the humanity kind of destroyed its... Uh, its worlds and and they had to kind of go off and re-see different places and as part of that they were going to recreate some sort of life I I don't exactly remember like the 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 premise of it but they were uh, using some sort of biological agent to kind of restart the evolution process on a world and uh, it got sabotaged. And so they oh, sent no. down like this biological agent, but rather than sending like the primates that were going to kind of restart the evolution oh. of humanity, the biological agent just went down and oh, ended up. Uh, Is this a spoiler? Inf- infecting. I, I, I'm. Are you spoiling the whole book? Spoil- no, I'm, I'm. This is just the start of it. So this is oh, the very beginning. Oh. Infecting. Oh, this is part of it. Yeah, infecting other things. So, and this is the story of the humans who survived, and the other things that survived as well, and how it all plays out. Very, very fascinating. But you you'll have to read it to find out the story of of what happens. But it does have like that's crazy that sort of thing. Which yeah. We, as we talk about uh, murder hornets and murder ants and murder spiders, that just, anyway, 
got me thinking about that specific book and how I don't want to encounter those types of insects and things like that. And this is another perfect segue into (laughs) what we're going to talk about today. And really, sometimes I think about, does my job really matter if the world is going to end tomorrow? Like murder hornets and pandemic, all these things. (sighs) But yeah, hopefully life still goes on the way we (laughs) want it to um what a what a dark segue but yeah oh we need yeah we need to find better ways to segue into (laughs) into topics when we start making money whatever by whatever means we can like selling merch or ads or whatever we can we like hire someone to just write that one paragraph of segue (laughs) and just say we need to go from Picard drinking Earl Grey to um, what is the topic today? How are designers involved in product strategy? Like, can you just write that segue for us? Like, <laughs> give us all the what is that? You know how you play video games? There are different checkpoints, and you eventually arrive at the castle where you Mario rescues um, Princess Peach. Like, <laughs> just give us the checkpoints of how can we take that detour and come yeah. back. Yeah, it. or if we, if we just have some sort of sponsor, we can. It would be nice to oh. just segue into, you know. And today's topic is brought to you by Tea Earl Grey Hot. Uh, if you like your tea and you like Earl Grey, you know, just buy Earl Grey tea and drink it. Yes, and that would know. be the <laughs> pitch. And Obviously, yeah, sorry, we 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 still need somebody to write something better than that. Yes. Um, but anyway, if you sell if you sell Earl Grey tea, you know we're open to to sell to pitching it here. So hit yes. us up. Hit us up. <laughs> That's such a good call to action. <laughs> hit us up. <laughs> All right. And I guess on that note, I mean, we have to talk about it. Yeah. The topic of how are designers involved in strategy or how involved are designers in product strategy as I just checked the wording of the topic today. How should we start? I just want to kind of start, I guess, from your perspective, since this is more in the court of product managers and initiating that process. What are your initial like response to that? So when I think of kind of product strategy, so there's, I guess, a few ways to kind of break it down into its hierarchy to begin with. So, you know, first off, and, and, you know, this isn't the only way or necessarily the exclusive way, but uh, when we think of constructing a product strategy, I like to think of it as somewhat of, you know, a, a pyramid where we have, you know, first off, we need to have a product vision. And, you know, that's very much about at its highest level, you know, what are, uh, what are we doing? What strategically? Well, as, as a company, as a organization, you know, where are we going? What are we doing? And, you know, that has to be kind of across, uh, all divisions, all areas and have, you have to have that vision if you're going to have a, a strategy that kind of aligns with it. So, you know, that's kind of, at the, at the very point, you know, that has to be, you know, really at a, at a leadership level from, from my perspective. Mm -hmm. So getting down into kind of the next level is the product strategy. So what is our, our product strategy? And, you know, this is much more about, and this can be kind of multi-layered. So, you know, as, as a product organization you know if you have a product team that has you know kind of responsibilities across multiple products or multiple areas you can have kind of a strategy uh, you know a, a product vision and product strategy for for all of that and then layering onto that kind of the specific product or you know this the specific team that's kind of working on that so they're going to be kind of multi-layers within that but you know, what is the product strategy? And this is really going towards how do we drive towards that vision? Um, how do we accomplish, you know, the higher level 
objectives and things that uh, we're setting out to do. So how do we create like a product roadmap? How do we create the prioritization frameworks, um, the new initiatives, the things like that, in order to create this strategy that is going to ultimately fulfill the vision of our company or our organization or whatever it is that you know we've kind of set out to do. So we have this vision that kind of flows into what is our strategy. So what's the big thing that we want to accomplish? And then our strategy, how is it that we're going to go about accomplishing that? And then going down a level, you know, what is the execution of it? How, you know, how are we going to go about actually doing those things? So when I think about the product strategy, that's, you know, that's kind of the framework that I do it in. And that's kind of a simplified framework. I think there are other ones out there, but with that, with that groundwork, we want to kind of dive into where does product design kind of fit in? So that was the question, Eva, but before we (laughs) jump into that, Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on just that overarching kind of framework or or thoughts that you have on that? This is actually very interesting because I always see how um, I guess I see the uh, uh, the end result of of that method, and it's very interesting to hear that pyramid um, view of, of that process because it totally makes sense. It's kind of like a top down um, direction, right? You come up with the overall directions, the vision, and then you get more and more granular and decide how to execute on those things. I, I guess, yeah totally makes sense in a way that now I'm like, oh yeah, that is what, you know, the product managers that I've been working with, like how they do it. <laughs> so that that's very interesting. And I have a question about that too, is when, as a product manager, when you're going from a vision, you know, one step down and then down to the granular level of how to execute, what is usually the biggest headache in that, in that process? Oh man, that's a really good question. I'll give you the I'll give you the product manager answer. Uh, it, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> I think that it does depend on uh, where where you're at organizationally. At least I've found mm-hmm. w- you know where your organization is at, where your product is at, like a whole bunch of different factors as far as you know what is going to be the most difficult part. Um, if your organization doesn't have a clear idea of where it's going or what it wants to do, you know, that sets the stage for pretty much every difficulty that you can imagine, because, you know, you're not going to be able to, to have any clear product vision or product strategy other than, you know, be ready to kind of shift at the whim of, you know, whatever comes next. And so that's very, very difficult as a product person to try and create any sort of like long-term product mm. vision or product strategy for what you're doing. If as a company, you don't have any clear idea of what your company vision or company strategy is. So I think that's a really, really difficult spot to be in. I think that in other cases, it can be, uh, you know, there can be other difficulties as well or other headaches uh, as a product person. Um, you know, getting into the execution um, too much is another one that I've seen uh, mm. fairly frequently uh, from from a lot of product managers. So uh, spending too much time in, you know, kind of that execution phase or execution mode and not being able to spend enough time in the strategic thinking or, or vision mm-hmm. creation is is a really difficult one and frankly a really common one uh, where you get so wrapped up as a product manager in executing that you completely mm. lose sight of the strategy and vision that you know at some point you don't have any clear picture of where you're going you're doing great executing yeah. on you know what you had kind of laid out or possibly what was laid out for you and delivering on things but at some point you know, kind of the runway runs out and you have to kind of pause and say, okay, where are we going next? We've been delivering and doing awesome at that, but we don't have any clear picture now of where we're going to go. That's a really easy one to get into because delivering is, it's very miserable. It's very apparent (laughs) when you're delivering on things. 
and you know creating a strategy and a roadmap and all of those things they're very very important but they don't have the same weight as delivering consistently on you know new features or new code or new things like that and so being pulled constantly in the direction of we need to execute we need to get things out is a very very easy thing to fall into as a product manager as well so those are some that come to mind very very readily i'm sure there are lots of other ones that folks will have or that come to mind for for product managers as they're thinking about their main headaches but those are two that come first to my mind any that you've seen or that you would have suspected there oh i mean i i really just feel for the two situations that you mentioned you know first is the lack of vision and not knowing where to go and the second scenario being the getting too caught up in the ground level you know uh execution like I think the second one probably is something that I've witnessed more up close and personal um, because, you know, that's where I feel like as a project designer, I'm involved more. I know that we have talked about the idea like you shouldn't be falling in love with the solutions, but you have to fall in love with, you know, the problem first as a, you know, product person. Right. And I think that's where is the 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 end result of of falling in love with the solution and you just keep all your resources and all your effort into something that might not align with the overall um, vision just because you're so caught up with that one portion of it and to me I can al- almost like visualize it like you're in the middle of the of a forest you don't know where to go but you're just like oh let's just take a left turn in the next fork you know but not knowing where you want to end up or you know getting too caught up with the immediate solution of like oh, is it left is it right you know but without you know just that awareness of yeah where do we want to go yep um so that that to me i i'm learning a lot from what you said because again i think i guess taking a step back to the re- reason why i asked you you know where you see headache coming in is because like yeah how can you know product designers help in that process to you know help define it help present it or whatever it is that we can um, be a part of because uh, in my personal experience like the product managers that I've worked with are very good at sharing what the vision is so that we're on the same page but I think that part still relies you know definitely a lot on the product manager to define that you know that that top level vision or you know as a group we we do that together but then as we get more granular how do we execute that at least from my personal experience that's where I get more and more involved and bring you know the how to do it you know to the to, to the table more and but yeah I, I i definitely see what you're saying i'm not saying that we cannot you know as product designers bring input in the vision but that is definitely i guess more in the court of the product managers so that that was very insightful of what what you guys go through <laughs> <laughs> and I, I i would imagine too that presenting the vision to you know whoever uh the product team reports to or whoever we need to, you know, do the homework for. <laughs> I, I, I'm curious, like, do you guys ever run into issues just getting buy-ins from leadership or, you know, the whole team on the vision or any, any stories on that? Yeah, fairly frequently, I think, especially when it's somewhat of a departure from either, you know, where things were headed to begin with or, you know, where leadership or others kind of expect things to be going and so you know kind of crafting and creating the right story with the right amount of both qualitative and quantitative information to kind of back that up and show that you know here's the direction that we need to be going why we need to be going in that way and how we can achieve this vision and then how it ties specifically to you know some of the greater initiatives or strategy or vision for the company and so making that case one thing that i've personally found particularly effective and am a big fan of is the something that amazon does and has made quite popular is the future press release to show and make the case for you know what does the future look like if we do this thing, this was something that uh, at another company we did uh, very, very, very frequently. It was it was a place that we had several executives who were former Amazon employees, so so no surprise there. 
they were big fans of the Amazon press release and we used it extensively, (laughs) but it's, it's an exercise in, you know, thinking about the future and Mm -hmm. putting into practice those, you know, one, you know, the writing, which really forces you to think about, you know, what does this look like a year from now, two years from now? And, you know, what is the data that's going to back it up? And what do we know now? And what do we need to know in order to make this happen? And so creating all of that to kind of put the case together and then allowing people to poke holes in it and to debate and Mm -hmm. question is another, I think, really important thing. It's not just, you know, making the case for it, but it's having like open, healthy Mm -hmm. debates about it, which is another very Amazon type thing where you, you know, you're not just kind of bringing ideas to the table, but you're bringing ideas out and then everybody gets to basically openly debate Mm -hmm. and criticize and like I said, poke holes in what it is. And that's ultimately what makes these ideas a lot stronger is because it's not, yeah, it's not just, uh, you know, one person kind of, uh, putting it together, but it's, you know, going and defending it. And then anything that isn't kind of up to snuff, then it goes through multiple rounds of, of refining and multiple rounds of fire basically before it makes it all the way up to kind of presentations. And those can be incredibly, incredibly grueling in order to get, (laughs) I I will tell you, I lost significant, I felt like I lost significant amounts of sleep in going through those types of things in getting ideas pushed forward, but they were significantly better for it in, in doing that sort of thing. So yeah, like I've, I feel like I've gone the rounds in those, uh, in, in getting ideas kind of pushed forward, but uh, I think it's a great, great system for doing it. I don't, I can't say specifically how Amazon does it, but I know that that's the way that we did it, uh, in kind of an Amazon fashion and the way that we've had done it in some other places as well that were, I'd say very open and somewhat in your face as well. So it's, it's those kinds of debates and things like that, that I think bring out really, really great ideas and great, great thought process. Yeah. Great results. Wow. I, in the middle of, as you, as you were describing that process, I would just, I I just couldn't help, but just say like, what a scary process, but (laughs) very healthy, right? It's kind of making sure the end result is as good as it could be. And it goes through not just one brain, but you know, the group could refine it as much as, you know, the group together could. And I, I think that's beautiful. And I mean, that, that practice, I think, not just for product managers. I think everyone should adopt that in one way or another. I mean, that's why in my world we do design review and kind of go through these thinking and just kind of vet the idea or the execution out before we present it as, I think doesn't matter what we do. There are always other people that rely on us to deliver, you know, our responsibility in a way that is, I guess, buttoned up. And, and we need to have the answers when someone come and ask, like, why is this done this way? And all aspects of it, it's already, I, I guess, go th- has gone through this quality control process <laughs> yep. to get it all polished up. Um, that That's really cool. And in and, and that process, too, and bringing it back to our topic of, like, how can product designers help? And the one point... Tell me how would you think of this? And I really think that user research and helping to put some of that data behind the vision, behind the execution uh, from the research or testing, you know, angle really str- strengthen the 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 vision or making sure we're kind of like what you always say, building the right thing, building the thing things that user actually want or need um, is very very important and. Is there other ways that you see or or maybe 
little bit in, in, in those areas too that the designers can help or any UI UX people can, can help in that process? I think those are probably some of the most important ways. So ensuring that there's a solid understanding of the user and the needs there, what's going on in their lives, what's going on in with their problems, um, also just in the environment. So to some extent, that could be even some market research, um, you know, that mm-hmm. that's starting to get into both not necessarily like UX and product design, um, starting to get into mm-hmm. more of like product management sphere. But, you know, again, depending on, you know, how you're defining roles on your team and, right. and where things are falling, a good collaboration between, you know, product managers and product designers in just understanding the environment and right. helping to ensure that we have a good understanding of what's happening and why it's happening mm-hmm. and that we know where we're going to go in the future so that we're not getting off track and we're not solving the wrong problems or trying to solve less than optimal problems or doing it in less than optimal ways. So I think that those from those for me are, are the real keys is Mm -hmm. just developing that really good core understanding Mm -hmm. and making sure that we're just continually informed as a product team. Also, again, kind of like you mentioned, informing those decisions with a lot of the research and data, quantitative and qualitative as -hmm. we go so that we are continually refining that vision and strategy for what the product is and what it should be in the future, because that is going to be an ever evolving thing and making sure that it is evolving and that we're not kind of setting a, a vision and a strategy and a roadmap and then forgetting about it or kind of executing on it for the next year without ever revisiting our assumptions, because Mm -hmm. that's, that is how we get off track really, really fast. Or yep. maybe not really fast, but that's how we get off track over the course of a year is we, <laughs> we set the the vision and strategy and roadmap and then we execute on it for a year and we look back and realize that we may have been on target in the first month or two, but then really started to veer off over the next, you know, 10 months and maybe not dramatically, but the user needs started to shift or the market started to shift. Things just started to shift and we weren't paying attention like we should have been. And we weren't informed like we should have been. And we got into that execution and, you know, weren't paying attention as much to the strategy and the vision like we should have been. And it didn't inform ourselves like we should have. I mean, talking about like things changing, right? It's all the external factors, like, there's a pandemic. How do people use your product? Is going through change depending on who you are, and um, even just think about my own experience, like how I use Grubhub, DoorDash is very different than how I used it before, and because it definitely changed in a way that I use it maybe three times a week versus <laughs> before it was like once in a while we're yep. gonna get, get something nice, and it's a more of a staycation during the weekend <laughs> type of feeling. Yep. So that's very interesting, and. Oh, man, there was 500 things that just happened. But um, I think that bang that you did just knocked it out of my brain. That, that, that's my <laughs> excuse. Um, so that, that's very interesting. And I can only imagine like by having those data um, to inform decisions, we are able to then also measure the outcome of, of the execution. Because I don't think you can say like, oh, okay, here's a vision. We don't look at what what we have done, how that have, you know, contribute to that to that vision a year later, right? We have to have checkpoints and along the way. And I think having those data, you know, at the beginning of the journey, when we set the vision and, and commit to it and say, okay, these are the qualitative and quantitative checkpoints. So halfway through or, you know, in a quarter, like how do we measure that and, and, and say, have we made any progress, you know, and having those metrics, I think definitely, it's not like a nice to have, it's a must have to, to understand does this vision still stick considering again, 
using 2020 as an example, <laughs> the world's changing, right? So I, I can only imagine that being very, very helpful to have, have these uh, metrics to keep you in, in, in check and also continue to, I guess, listen to the users and s- just see the trends, uh, where things are going uh, for your products. With that said, it's definitely, again, just a collaboration between designers and, and product managers and doing all the tests and, and making sure we check in regularly on, on how we are delivering to, you know, to do deliver to that vision that we have both, you know, committed to. Yep. Yep. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And is there anything else that you think like a product designer or any, in any ways that we can help to, I guess, help us all to stick to the plan and, or even maximize the, the execution, the outcome? It's a good question. I think we've covered a bunch of the -hmm. most important ways. And I think if there's, if there's anything else, like from a product team perspective, you know, I really think of it as an open collaboration. And that's definitely been the places where I think it has worked the best as far as teams I've been on, teams mm-hmm. that I've had uh, working with me and and teams that I've seen. So however you can get involved in creating yes. the vision and strategy and then the execution, I'd say, you know, go for it. And don't, you know, there doesn't need to be like strict definitions of, you know, this is the role for the product manager and this is kind of the box that they fit in and this is right. the box for product design and for engineering and everybody needs to kind of strictly fit into it. I I think that it's really the more you collaborate together and the more you can say, here are the problems that we need to solve. Here's what we need to ultimately come up with. And how, you know, how can we best do this? And what are the strengths that we each bring? And how can we maximize those? I think that will be one of the best ways that you can go about it. And honestly, there will be, you know, some product managers that probably don't have, uh, you know, that they may lean more to some of the technical side and they may have more of a technical background. And so there may be product designers who bring more of a business or a market focus to some of it and may may be able to bring uh, some of that experience in, or it may be another way that a product manager may bring different sets of skills that they may have, you know, more of that uh, market and business experience and a product designer may have other skill sets that they can bring in creating Mm -hmm. that. So finding the right balance of those things, I think is, is really important, but ultimately being focused on how can we create first off that product vision and then have that align with the overarching company vision and strategy? And then how do we create our product strategy that helps us Mm -hmm. achieve that vision that we've set? And then how do we execute on it? And then how do we continually ensure that we're aligned and aligning all of those things and driving the outcomes that we want to, and then measuring to make sure that that we're doing it. Those are, I think, the real keys. I feel like you're just dropping like wisdom left and right. Like <laughs> those are really good points, and I'm glad that you uh, brought up engineering too. And we're not <laughs> representing, you know, uh, that side in in the conversation that we have, but doesn't mean that engineering shouldn't be there. Like that is definitely the the third you know, uh, side, third side of the triangle. How do I even yeah. put that in a sentence? Anyways, the yeah. trifecta that, that we're missing here, but I think it will be interesting to get someone from the engineering side with us probably soon to kind of, I, I am interested in hearing how they think about all these things that we've talked about, just like how they get involved in product strategy and also executing design and all these different things too. Let, let's, let's, on that I, I love that idea and um anyways but i do also want to this is, this is the same thing we have talked about so many so many times in the past episodes it's 
communication, um, the open collaboration, communicating all the strategy and but really is really the most important thing because I'm glad that I often am involved in those strategy sessions to make sure when we're executing on the ground, we also, you know, as product designers understand the overall direction. So then we don't overthink a portion of the work that might not end up contributing, you know, to that vision. And that has been very helpful in just uh, putting the right resource in the right place. I think that is what not just product designers, but product managers also need to handle. And, and I think understanding why we can't spend, you know, 10 hours to develop this one thing that might sit (laughs) more in the peripherals of the vision versus something else that is more important, like totally, totally makes sense. And, um, in the past, like we have always done those discussions, you know, with product designers and, engineering and product managers together kind of go through that process you mentioned earlier of vetting through the idea making sure the architecture fits to that vision and resources timeline everything needs to align and i think that really is where the strength of a product manager you know comes in right it's the ability to take all these factors into account and coming up with the best plan to you know move forward and how we present it you know visions and some of the best product managers I've worked with are always able to present a plan with the visions and um, all these external factors, internal factors already put into, you know, a, a plan to explain how to execute and why we want to execute the way we, you know, we, we do and um, to present to the stakeholders. And I feel like those are some of the best, you know, vetted, you know, buttoned up uh, vision slash plans to execute that I've seen. And so, yeah, and, and I just, yeah, I love everything that you have mentioned uh, on how to make sure everyone's involved and, and that color collaboration, it's all there. So the yeah. end of my thought. Cool. Okay. This is the end of the discussion. I think so. <laughs> yeah. I think we covered a lot of grounds and how and the what and the why. Um, yeah. I, I definitely am interested in hearing what people go through because I think the headaches that you you talked about at the very beginning are very probably universal to a lot of product <laughs> managers but I'm interested in hearing like how uh, how other you know companies they experience this and I can only imagine that um, some of the bigger companies have a harder time to get that collaboration together and even looking at you know my husband Colby he's a product manager in a much bigger org and the way they do product management is very different and the way they strategize is not as bite-sized is very elaborate and just a completely different process than what 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 I am used to that is very much like hey let's talk about this and and have a very instant you know back and forth instead of like oh everything is more down on paper there is an exact process um and, and that that's just a different style of doing it. And and it's very interesting every time when I hear how he talks about that process happens versus, you know, um, the style that we just mentioned. Um, but yeah, collaboration and communication. <laughs> yep, exactly. So the shout out and gripe zone to wrap <laughs> it up. Wrap it up. Let's do this part quick. I know we talked a lot earlier about all the... I don't know. Did we gripe about anything at the beginning of the episode? Actually, no, no I don't no, think so. No. I'm not as pessimistic as I thought, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, do you want to go? Do you want to go first? Sure. So shout out for me to the Timber King 2000, what which, yeah, for those who don't know, it is a very large portable milling machine. So it's on a trailer. Wait. Yeah. Milling machine. Yeah. So you can mill lumber on it. You can take a log, basically, put it on it and cut the log down into boards and do that. (laughs) Yes. It's amazing. And we did this. It's been, I I guess, a week and a half ago now or so. And it just, it was 
it was so good. We found somebody who had a Timber King 2000, which apparently there are a bunch of different models. Timber King 2000 is kind of like an upper end one, which I looked it up. <laughs> Super expensive. I would to- I would absolutely buy one because I, I, I want one now, oh. but very, very expensive. I'm looking um, this up right now. Yeah, so I, I definitely could not justify the purchase of a Timber King 2000. But Timber King, if you're out there and you want to... <laughs> to to you know, throw throw some sponsorship this way uh we'll, we'll throw one more timber king 2000 uh on there anyway okay what's the model that you have the we use the timber king 2000 <laughs> wait which, what yeah we, um anyway but yeah we my parents uh they had to cut down a tree and so we saved a whole bunch of the logs and we we milled them. So we, we had a whole bunch of longer pieces from the tree <laughs> and we cut them into long boards. And so now we're going to use them to make just a bunch of stuff. So I'm super excited, but it's basically, yeah. So it's got a, a, a blade on it and you can put really big boards into it. And it's kind of like a bandsaw, but that lays flat and you can just cut logs down to whatever width and size that you want them. And so we cut a whole bunch of them and it was just, it was, it was amazing. I had, I had originally thought about doing, if there's anybody out there who's seen like chainsaw milling where you like take a chainsaw and like cut the, the logs with a chainsaw, that's what we were, we were looking at doing, but that's just a, a ton more work. So we were very, very happy to find somebody who has a portable mill that they were able to come and, and we were able to put all of the logs up there and, and do the milling. So it was, it was really good anyway. Yeah. Um, there are less expensive portable mills out there as I was looking them up just to see starting in like the, I think you can get like a really basic one for like $3,000 and then like one on a trailer for like 10,000 and then they go up quickly to like $70,000 if you want like a, a nice one <laughs> with like hydraulics and everything. Anyway, if you're doing a lot of milling though, it's I guess it's a cool way to do it. Take it around, do milling and stuff. But yeah, I'm been doing a lot of woodworking and stuff and I just finished building a dining table, a maple dining table a little bit ago. And so this was a maple tree that we had milled. So going to be doing some more woodwork with the maple oh, tree. Wow. This is so out of the left field that I just did not, I did not see this <laughs> coming. Because when you first started talking about Timber King, I would mentally, I was going back to the episode where you brought up um, grinding flour. Is that what you guys were mm-hmm. doing? Like, is that, what, what is that yeah. process called? Milling flour. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Yep. I thought that's what you were talking about. And then I was like, Timber King, like that doesn't sound flower related. And <laughs> the second I looked at it, I was like, this is definitely not even remotely close to what I was thinking. And I encourage everyone to look up Timber King 2000 because even when you mentioned portable, I was not thinking a giant thing that has a, basically a ladder looking, you know, conveyor belt thing. You can roll oh, yeah. the wood across, right? Oh, yeah. That's it's is, it's on hydraulics too so like you get you roll the log over to it and then it's got like the hydraulic arm oh that goodness. lifts it up which is good because i mean some of the logs that we had were super heavy like just even rolling yeah. them was more than was almost more than we could do so but you have to understand when you say portable i was thinking like a kitchen aid size oh yeah not portable in that way like portable in that it's a trailer that you hook up to a truck and oh like my that's goodness. the portability of it. Oh, wow. Like, yeah, when you, you didn't mention trailer, but I was also still <laughs> thinking like a bigger KitchenAid. I, but here's the thing. I was not in the same realm of the world that you're in. Like, this is so, this is so cool, but portable. There needs to be a better word. I mean, it is portable. What is the definition of portable? When you're talking about a mill, I guess anything that <laughs> can move off site, because for a, like a mill where you're actually milling lumber, m- most of them, you have to actually take the lumber to the mill, which was yeah. 
we weren't excited about that prospect just given the number of logs we'd have to we would have had to have rented a trailer and then somehow gotten the logs onto the trailer which probably would have meant we would have had to have rented some sort of machine to like actually lift up the logs and put them on the trailer um oh. so anyway it would have been a big a whole big thing which we were not prepared for so anyway the portable mill was a, the answer which around here yeah. there's just not a ton of unfortunately apparently my wife was talking to her family who lives in texas and lots of people have this sort of thing in texas because the trees grow much more abundantly in southeast <laughs> texas where you just have i mean it's so much more wet and humid down there you just have trees popping up everywhere and growing super fast and so you have a you have your own mill where you just send the, the pine trees through and you can mill some of your own lumber and build stuff with it but yeah. I just thought the way you tell a story is also very exciting. We've talked about this. <laughs> the way you talk about a story, it doesn't matter what topic it is. It's always very epic. And the punchline like that came, that really hit me just now when you were telling the story was like, we just milled some trees. Like, I can't remember how you said it, but it was just very, very, very nice. The way you told that story. So thank you. And I just... Again, I grew up in Hong Kong, so this is not the side of the <laughs> living that I, I, I just, this is a very, very, very endearing modern day story to me because I love that process. I love the portability of that mill. <laughs> <laughs> I propose that we, we, there needs to be a different world, a different, not a different world, different word for, for this. I, I propose like tra trailerable or haulable. <laughs> A hollable, yeah. There you go. Probably. That I just, yep. My, that this is just me. Uh, my mind being blown away by the stuff that goes on behind the scenes of how your household, you know, functions. Where we just like, like I mentioned, we do Grubhub, we do DoorDash. It's very, <laughs> <laughs> we're very pampered anyway but i do like woodworking definitely not milling my own wood but in the past i don't know i don't know if i've ever told you i have built i mean with lumber from home depot so it's not og wood um that i built a day bed with it when i was not poor i wouldn't say i was poor but needed to be scrappy about certain things and it also sounded really fun to do woodworking so yeah now it's like going one step further behind the scene to understand there is a way to mill your own wood is very just opening my horizon. Yeah. Yeah. Expanding it. That's really cool. Again, not just very out of the left field that I also very, I, I don't know. I enjoy this. So thank you. Yeah. And I'm going to go very fast on my, okay. on my shout out because <laughs> it's nowhere near as interesting <laughs> is that I, I, I didn't know this, but today we're using Google meet and there's this feature that you can turn on captions. I don't know if you've been using it. I've been using it just to test out how well it works. Um, it's like at the bottom, right? Oh, you I turn it on know. and check it out. It's really, really cool. And especially for anyone who is, you know, um, hearing impaired. Um, I was going to say visually impaired, but nope to see real time the transcript of, of how people, yeah, what people are talking about. And it tells you who is saying those things kind of on the, you know, same, same, same track of last time I gave Otter AI, uh, otter.ai a shout out on, on their product uh, to give a real time transcript. This is very much the same thing, but living inside Google meet which is, I'm pretty sure it's a free service, right? It is. And I just turned the captions on and it's that cool. is awesome. Yeah. Right? No, that's way cool. And it's a fair, fairly real time. It is. It's, it's wow. super accurate too. Are you, are you watching? I am. Yeah, I'm watching. Wow. Yeah, I'm watching <laughs> it. No, it's, it, it's really cool. I cannot believe like this is free. First of all, it's great. It is. Yeah. So anyways, this is a, Probably my favorite thing to yeah witness is technology helping people to get things done. No gripe for me today. Just a true shout out. But but um, before we started recording, we I I told Kyle that I want to talk about 
Netflix versus Hulu app. I have a lot of gripes on that, but <laughs> but today just just positive shout out on on Google Meet. This is really really cool. Yeah, it is. Well, that's a good note to end it on. Yes, and that's it. Okay. All right. Well, thanks. Thank you. And I guess anyone needs a portable mill, Turnberry King two thousand, and yeah. Yeah, and if you get one, let me know, especially if you're <laughs> in the, you know, the Utah area. Cause I mean, I just I would like to know everybody that has one. So in case I need to have some lumber <laughs> milled, you know, I can just call have different people to call and, and we can chat about it. You're gonna be starting you're gonna be getting calls, weird calls, weird tweets. Hey, I, hope, I hope you do. <laughs> there I I know of of two people now who have lumber mills and so yeah and they yeah so if you get one and you're in the area let me know tweet at me so that i can know that you have one too (laughs) shared resources i love this anyways thanks for listening and goodbye thanks for listening if you enjoyed this episode be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app you can find out more about us and our podcast on our website at productbydesign.co. You can also follow us on Twitter at prodbydesign. That's at prod underscore by underscore design. You can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Larry Evans. And you can also find Eva on Twitter at Yan Chow Chow. See you next time.